A good Tuesday afternoon to everybody, and once again, welcome to the Seth Joyner Show. Uh, today's a special show for me, man. We're going to be talking a lot of Eagles today, but it's special because um, my co-worker, um, good friend, Derek Gunn, is joining me live right now, and it's just me and D, gun on one. You never, you, Hey, man, you and I never did a gun on one, man. I had to get you to come no, on my show to do a gun on one. You big time. Every time you saw me in the office, you you walked past me like you didn't know me. So, no, I'm just playing. You you know, if, I wish you had a I wish you had a playing when we first started Comcast Sportsnet because I know for a fact, just like Hugh Douglas, Ike Reese, Bobby Taylor, all the way up to Brandon Graham, John Runyon, you would have been a star post game live because of your honesty um, and your forthcoming and you say and do. Man, they would have been beeping on post game live so much with me as an interview after the game. <laughs> That's true. We we'd have needed a 20 second delay for you. Not not seven seconds. We would have needed a 20 second delay for you. That's okay though, man. I, you know it's it's the realness. It's the realness of what you bring to a show that makes the show um so exciting. And you know it's one of the reasons why I'm thrilled to have you on because you know what you do is you get down to the nitty gritty with the players. Um, you know, obviously you know the game, but it's been your relationship over the years with the players as they come off the field when they're doing their gun on gun on one segment during the week for you know pre and post game live, so on and so forth. Um, that that really makes the difference because people want to get into the lives and they want to get to know their players in a in an intimate kind of way. And you always provided that, my friend. The, the one thing I can say, Seth, um, in, in the 41 years that I've been doing this is being consistent. Um, I can go to my grave and say I never dined out a source, whether it was a player, a coach, a front office personnel, I never dined out. And, and Seth, as you know, from an athlete's perspective, it's difficult to trust the media in a lot of ways because, you know, media a lot of times is just trying to dig up stories. Um, when you're a little, when you're in the market like Cincinnati, Green Bay, Buffalo, um, those have much smaller contingents of of media personnel. And I've worked, I've covered the Chargers, I've covered the Packers, covered the Steelers, and of course the Eagles for 23 years. When you work in a large media volume like Philadelphia, where on the average you have anywhere from 50 to 75 media thrusting mics, microphones, cameras in your face every day. You don't know who you can trust, and you're very guarded with what you say a lot of times. So because of my consistency, what has happened throughout my career is when I'm in a certain market and I've established a certain amount of credibility and trustworthiness, players talk in the locker room, and they say, you know what, this is a guy you can trust. This is a guy who you can trust. He's not trying to get the best of you. Um, and when those players are starting to leave, the baton is passed on. The existing players welcoming in new players will tell new players there's only a few players you can trust and by the grace of god i've been one of those players um i've been one of those media people that players have consistently trust trusted so if there's anything that i've done consistently is that i've been honest with everybody that i've dealt with in this industry well let me tell you something man you're beloved um i, I you know when you announced on social media that you were no longer going to be with um nbc um, you know, it, it, it went viral. I mean, you had everything from videos from a 
from a Brian Dawkins, you know, to just, you know, text after text after text, you know, um, of fans and people, you know, who, who loved you. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, I want to, I want my viewers also, you know, to shoot your best questions for Derek as well, because um, they want to know, I mean, I wanted this to be interactive, you know, intimate between just, just you and I. So where you and I can just talk football, you know, and I got a script, but you know how it's, um, you know, when it's organic, you just let it flow. Um, and that's what I want to do. But I also want to give my my viewers an opportunity, you know, to ask questions um, and, and ask them questions that make sense. I mean, you know, don't, don't come on here, you know, asking, you know, why, you know, he left, you know, NBC. Let's 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 do this the right way. But I and, and I just want to touch on what you said a second ago. A lot of times when. You go into a press conference, whether it's for coaches or whether it's for players. There's a lot of people yeah. present and they're asking questions. They don't know what the hell they're doing. And I think the fact that you have such a great knowledge of the game of football, when you begin to interact with some of these guys, some of the questions that you ask the players and the coaches, they realize, that, hey, this guy understands the game. He's asking pertinent questions to get answers to the pertinent information that the fans want to hear. Uh, what's your thought on that? Um, I've always tried to tell people coming up after me, first of all, I was blessed along the way in my career to be mentored by some great people. Uh, a guy named Phil Stone in San Diego, who was a sports director at NBC when I was there. And he was also doing play-by-play -play for NBC Sports doing NFL football then. Then I got to go back to my hometown, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I got to work with a guy named Earl Gillespie, who was the radio voice of the Wisconsin Badgers for, my goodness, 50-something years. Everybody knew Earl Gillespie from the top of the state to the bottom. I grew up watching Earl Gillespie on CBS Channel 6 in Milwaukee when I was a kid, and I got to work with him for five years. And then when I went to Pittsburgh, I got to work with a guy named Sam Nover, um, who was also doing play-by-play -play football for NBC Sports at the time. So, And they all groomed me. They took me under their wing, and they were honest with me, and sometimes they were tough on me um, as well. And but they always said, you know what, be who you are. Unfortunately, a lot of people in, in our business try to create uh, a character. And, it, you know, they're figured out in a hurry that they're a character. Be who you are and let people understand who you are and see who you are. And you will win more people over than not with that kind of approach. And that's why I've been blessed in, in a lot of ways to do that. And I tell young people coming up behind me, do your homework. Don't go in there trying to find out information without doing your homework. Do your homework, not on just the game, but on the subjects you're interviewing. You may find when you, and, and with the advent of internet and all this stuff, you can find out so much stuff about individuals. You may find out you come from the same state as this guy. You can have a conversation about that before you start talking about X's and O's. You might like hunting like he does, fishing. Uh, it might be an artist, musician. Do your homework. Unfortunately, a lot of people in our business, Seth, don't do their homework. Uh, they think they can just grab a mic, get in the camera, and ask all the questions they want, and sometimes ask tough questions, sometimes ask the wrong questions. And that's not how you get to know people. Because of anything, they become more standoffish against you because of your approval. But if you have a direct conversation with somebody before you become the interviewer and the interviewee, it helps that individual relax, as you know, um, and it makes an inter interview flow that much better. 
Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, man, let's 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 jump into some eagle talk. Um, you know, the questions are flying. I'm looking at them. You know, everything from your body. I get the first question. Okay. This is what I wanted to ask you for a long time because I've been asked this question for like the last five years wherever I go. Why does Seth Joyner look so angry all the time? And I said, that's his happy face. Now, I'm going to let the man himself respond to that. Well, listen, man, I, I tell people all the time, my life is blessed, man. I, I got two healthy kids. Um, yeah. I, I get to, you know, talk about the game that I that I love. Um, I can't do anything about the look that God gave me, you know. And when people... If people are not fearful in the in the way that they will come up and engage me in conversations, those that do, they understand that there's nothing to be fearful about. My, I mean, my thing is, you know, what am I going to do? Bite you? I'm I'm, I'm going to tackle you? I'm, what, what is it? I'm afraid of you when I first met you. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> well, I I know that that's the that's the veneer. Um, that most people see, and and it, and it is it is the veneer. I mean, because you know, really, at the end of the day, we all have our look. You know, I mean, right. And, and this is this is what people have have come to to learn and expect. You know, I mean, how fake would I be in the realest of environments if I if I got on TV and I start doing I start doing the, the smile? Like, it's just my look, you know. And and when it when a situation warrants a smile, I give a smile. You know, when I'm talking about the game that I love, I'm highly passionate about, and the team that I'm most highly passionate about that I play for, um, right. it, it it's almost personal. So I can understand where people, you know, come to a point where they look at me and they say, man, that guy is just, you know, too intense to be on TV. But um, I'm intense about everything. That's just the way that I'm wired. All right. I just, I've been wanting to ask so, you that a long time. Any other questions you got, just fire, man. But I'm telling you, I, I'm getting a lot of um, I'm getting a lot of questions. You know, people want to know, um, you know, what's your next venture? Obviously, he's not going to tell you that. You know, you'll see that when that happens. But you know, everything from you know your your social media renowned for your barbecue skill, um, so on and so forth. You know, people just want to know what you're doing with yourself. They want to know that you're okay, man. Well, first of all, uh, I just want to thank everybody out there uh, that has responded on social media, uh, texting me, phone calls, uh, current players, ex-players, my boy DJ Jazzy Jeff, um, you know, and, and the love has been tremendous. It, it has overwhelmed me to a point uh, and to a degree I never thought that it would. Uh, but I think um, it just goes to show that even though I'm from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Philadelphia and in the, in the region of South Jersey and North Delaware in my veins. Uh, and this is as much my home as, uh, as my hometown, Wisconsin, Milwaukee, Wisconsin is. Um, my next moves, I, I basically been chilling for a couple of weeks and my wife said, all right, it's time to get back to work. It's time for you to get back to work. <laughs> and so now I'm pursuing some things. I've done some auditions for some things. Uh, I'm exploring uh, a couple of uh, podcast ventures that are really interesting uh, my webpage will be coming up soon uh, my middle kid my daughter Christina is an incredible graphic designer she's designing my webpage even as we speak uh, I'm getting my equipment in order and I'm going to do some things for some other companies as well 
And then there's some other things I'm going to announce that I'm going to do um, outside of media, outside of sports um, as well. Um, you know, I've been doing covering sports for 41 years. Um, and, you know, when, when God closes one door, uh, when man closes one door, God opens another door. And right now God is opening a whole bunch of doors for me, doors I never even thought about walking through. And I'm excited about the prospects. You know, so instead of just having to rely on one entity to support me and my family, uh, by the grace of God, hopefully there's four or five, six different things that I really want to pursue and attack and see if I can a master that I'm looking forward to doing. That's going to be awesome, man. And, you know, we, we're all looking forward to it, man. Um, you're a guy that needs to be on everyone's TV when it comes to the, to the Philadelphia Eagles. So I'm hopeful that it remains in this area, but it, you know, think about the beautiful thing about the beautiful thing about being um, beloved in the city of Philadelphia, you know, and, and I know that you're beloved. I, I know, I know that feeling because I was away from the city for a long time and came back and they rewrapped their arms around me. Um, when you're serious about what you do and you're good at what you do, um, whether you're from here or not, if you do it to the best of your ability for the city of Philadelphia, they love you for a lifetime. Yeah. There's no question about that. And when I came to the market in 1997, the one thing I wanted to say, I didn't want to just fit in and be like everybody else. Uh, I wanted to be different from everybody else. I wanted to stand out uh, from everybody else and not be a character. And when my company asked me the second year of the existence of Comcast Sportsnet, hey, would you be the full-time Eagles reporter? I just laughed and said, you know what? Let's roll. I said, but if I do this, I want to do it both home and away. They just wanted me to do it for home games. Mm -hmm. I said, if I do this, I need to do this home and away and at practices. And they said, oh, okay. And I knew within myself what I was capable of doing before I got to this market that that was the way that I had to approach this. Consistency was the key. The more people that more people that saw you on TV or heard you on radio, uh, the more they got familiar with you and your style and your approach. And then when I gained that trust, when I began to break stories, um, and, and Seth, I can tell you this honestly, you know, for every story that I broke covering the Philadelphia Eagles, there's at least 10 or 15 stories that I will never tell because if, that, if I ever told those stories, on an annual basis, I'd have to go into the witness protection program. You know, they'd have people looking for me. So there's stories I will never tell. And that's part of the trust factor because I've had certain entities in that organization come up to me time and time again and say, Hey, thank you so much for not putting it out there. And because I did that or didn't do that, that was the reason why I got other things down the road. But that's that's professionalism and that's what everybody yep. respects. Before we move on to the Eagles, man, I just want to read, you know, um, Eric Lilly says D Gunn and 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 um, Brandon Graham interviews a classic. He gives you, you know, two strong arms. Um, yeah. Scott Streeter says, you know, great to hear from you, Gunner. Um, Timothy Floria going to miss his voice. Um, I mean, listen, man. I, I thought they loved me. My goodness, man. They are showing uh, D-Gun all, all kind of love up in here. Um, you know, people talking about me like, this, like what else? What else? I'm not dead yet, folks. Don't count me out yet. Things are well, happening. Well, you, you're not dead, but you know how Philly is, man. Philly, Philly gets to a place sometimes, man, where 
you know, they like they like for things to be the way that they are. And, yep. you know, the, the crazy part is, you know, when you when you tune into the Eagles this year, not only the craziness of the COVID, but, you know, it's going to look markedly different the pre and post game. You know, like yep. um, I, I think that I'm going to be via video. I'm not going to be in studio. Um, mm. You're not going to have Derek Gunn interviewing the guys, you know, midweek and showing that on Sunday. And you're not going to have right. D Gunn standing there. So people – People, people know that there's going to be massive changes, you know, to what this thing looks like. And you know, one thing about the Eagles fans, they don't like a lot of change. They they don't like a lot of change at all. They like things to be a certain way, for things to be approached a certain way, and to know that you know such an integral part of you know their Eagles coverage is not going to be there at least on that station. I will say. Yep. Has been feeling some type of way, and 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 rightfully so. You know, Mike Constantino always loved D Gun. Won't be the same. Thank, you. thank you, Mike. Um, all right, man. We'll we'll get to some more of their questions because what I wanted to do is have my producers bring on a couple of people. You know that that will ask you a sensible question. We'll give them a login number um, where they can get the link and come on and chat with you for a little bit. But you know. Let's talk about our birds, man, because, you know, it's, it's upon us. We're all excited, you know, waiting with bated breath to see if this thing will jump off. And, you know, always as usual, the first issue is dealing with injuries. Um, yep. And especially in this era with no OTAs and no real preparation. Um, you know, to me, the Hargrave and Barnett injuries are the two major ones. Um, Peterson right. and Whiteside, you know, even though they were injured, they're back. And then you look and you see Kelsey D. Jackson, Malik Jackson got a day off today after one day in pass. Well, I'm not surprised one bit. And if you look across the league, um, look at what has happened. Gerald McCoy for the Cowboys lost for the season. Robert Alford uh, for the Cardinals lost for the season. When you haven't had the offseason workouts, the OTAs, the mini camps, and now you're having a crash course training camp with no preseason games, trying to get ready for the real deal. You're going to be subject uh, to more injuries, more soft tissue type injuries. I don't care how much of a workout demon you are on your own uh, during an offseason. There's nothing like training camp workouts when you have those trainers overlooking everything that you do and your reps and you're forced to, to keep charts so they know that you're getting this stuff in. You know, because when you work out on your own, Seth, as you know, no matter how good you are, you'll push yourself to a certain point, and then all of a sudden you'll back off, okay, that's enough for today. When you're in training camp, you have people say, no, 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 you still have X amount of reps to go. We got to get these tendons right. Okay, we got to – I mean, every year the volume of injuries go up in the National Football League. These guys are bigger, faster, stronger, but the playing surface is not getting any wider. Okay, so the collisions are more violent. The injuries have become more violent. Look, look at what happened to Alex Smith, you know. Now, you know, he's coming back by the grace of God, but that was devastating for a while. It was life-threatening for a while when he went through. Um, so these guys now who are sustaining these injuries, these back muscle injuries, uh, uh, hamstring injuries, I'm not surprised. And you're going to have a lot more of these. So it, it's upon the coaches to really back off. You got even more so now. You know, Andy Reid is a prime example of a coach who knew how to back off of veteran players when they practice to a certain point. More coaches are going to have to adapt to that even more so now. We've got to push them, but we've got to back up. We're not going to have a, a team. We're going to be pulling guys from the Canadian League to play for us 
because the guys on our practice squad, that's not enough to fill some of these holes on this team. So but I just hope that teams can go about their business and get ready, but you got to do it in an extremely different manner like you've never done before because you're in a situation with this COVID thing, like we've something we've never seen before to get your guys ready to play the real games. Well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll ask you the question because I'm always fascinated by, you know, people's thoughts and opinions. Um, why, to me, to me, it seems like guys get more injured today in the game of yeah. football, in the world of football than he did back in the day when I played. Um, I couldn't, re I can't remember so many soft tissue injuries. I can't remember right. so many. I mean, when a guy tore an ACL, it was like, it was like this major anomaly. It's almost commonplace now that you're going to have at least one guy on your roster every single year that tear tears his AC ACL. Um, in your opinion, what, what, what is it? Because, you know, I've always contended that they don't work hard enough. I hear your advocation and I understand why you would say to back off. You got to figure out when to back off. Right. But, right. you know, they 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 drove us, man. I mean, those two a days and that and all that hitting and whatnot. And, you know, maybe yep. by the time we got out of training camp, we were a little beat up and we were a little behind the curve. But all of a sudden, by the time we got to week two, week three, week four, we are now all of a sudden we got our legs on us and we're ready to play. And those little bruises that you get in training camp, they're no longer bruises because they're calcified. They're hardened. Your body's hardened. Um, so it, it, just your opinion, what, what do you think it is? I mean, have we become too technologically advanced as far as the game is concerned? I think uh, under this new CBA where you can only have X amount of practices, X amount of time in the practice field, I think that has been a detriment. It's what the players wanted, and the players got that in their new CBA, but I, and, and the previous CBA as well. I, I think that has been has done more harm than good in terms of preparing players. And you're right. You know, when I first got here, we were up at Lehigh all the time with Andy Reid, and you'd have knocked down dragouts twice a day once they started putting on the pads. You know, and I, I think players' bodies are just not ready like they used to be by the time they get to a regular season. I mean, these dudes are bigger, stronger, more muscular. But when you got offensive linemen who go 6'6", 320 pounds, and they're running four seven forties, and you got a defensive tackle or a linebacker coming at you who's 6'2", 6'3", 265, that's a train wreck, man. And that's every play, you yeah. know. You got running going 250 now running four fives, four sixes. And when he bears down on a cornerback or a safety, I mean, that's like trying to stop a bull. And sometimes a bull will back up and run you over again. You know, and so the body wasn't made to absorb a lot of what is happening to these players now. Um, and so the game is what it is now. This is what players wanted. Players wanted to, to, to have more recovery time, so to speak, instead of being out there, being pushed to the limit, you know, coming off the field dead, tired, sore all the time, running to the ice tub, um, so on and so forth. Well, this is what you have now. And because these guys are so much bigger and faster, because the collisions are so much more violent, this is the game that we know it now, and this is going to continue. Um, I don't know if there's anything else you can do uh, with the way the game is structured right now to alleviate, you know, uh, even more physical damage. And, you know, you're starting to see more and more younger players, 25, 26, 27, getting out the game now like you never did before. You know, these guys have come to the conclusion that this is not worth it. You know, a, a peace of mind and being able to play with my children when I'm in my mid-30s and, and 40s, 
and having my mental faculties when I'm in my 50s, 60s, and hopefully 70s and 80s, that's more important than that almighty dollar. And I applaud a lot of players. You know, Seth, when you think about you sacrifice your body from the time you play Pop Warner football, high school, college, to be one of the elite few, the chosen few to get a chance to put a uniform on in the National Football League and to play the game at the highest level and to get paid money you could only dream of. And then all of a sudden at 25, 26, 27, you say, I've had enough. I applaud players who do that. I know I know it irks a lot of fans um, and it angers a lot of fans. But you know what? Um, from, a, from, a, a, from a selfless standpoint, not selfish, selfless standpoint of thinking about long-term health, not just for myself, but, but the people I love, I applaud players who stand back and do that because that's incredible that you're going to walk away from money you may never see again uh, because you're more concerned about your body and your mind more so than the almighty dollar. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we got John. John's got a question. Um, Papa man. Hey, John, how you doing, man? Welcome to the Seth Jordan show. Uh, what's your question for today? Hey, Seth, thanks for taking my call. Uh, D gone, man. First, I'd like to say thank you, sir. And, uh, my question thank you. To, to you, to you, D gone, uh, is, um, what would be your most memorable moments, if you want to share them with us, of yeah. uh, of of the game? Not necessarily whether it be in Green Bay or it's in Philadelphia or or it's sitting next to Seth or whatever you might think. Yeah, of the game itself, I would. In all honesty, it's being uh, having the privilege to cover this game as long as I have uh, to get to be. Um, friends with so many ex-athletes and current athletes. Uh, what I've done is something that I never wanted to do. If when I was 19, 20, 21 years old, if you asked me a list of the top 20 jobs I would want to do, being in the media would have been like 28th or 29th. I really didn't want to do this. But once I got in it and found out what I could do with it and what it afforded me, the opportunities to, to be have been in every stadium, in the NFL in my career, think about how many people can say that. I've been in every stadium in the NFL in my career. I've been interviewed some of the greatest athletes from Terry Bradshaw, Franco Harris. Um, my goodness, I've been, John Riggins. Um, you know, and think about all the great Eagles players, Brian Dawkins and I are very close friends. Um, it, it was something I couldn't even comprehend back then. But if I, but if I had to say my – and I've covered 11 Super Bowls in my lifetime. If I had to say one definitive moment that stood out from the rest, it was watching the Philadelphia Eagles finally win a Super Bowl. This was a team that took a lot of criticism. Uh, there's 12 Super Bowl champions in the NFC East, and the Eagles have zero. And the fans took that personally. And I understand why. As I got to know Philadelphia and its fan base, I understand why. But the euphoria that followed on that football field, to see all these guys that we had covered for so long standing there crying like babies and holding on to that trophy and embracing each other, and to see front office people shedding a tear. Um, I think that's one of the best moments in, in my career in terms of, of covering uh, pro football. Well, we're going to take a couple more questions um, as they come, but let's let's move on, you know, to Carson Wentz. Um, in my opinion, you know, the most important guy yep. um, on this football team. He, he, he showed up at about 250 pounds. Looked like he put on some serious muscle um, intent on getting himself ready to play this year injury-free. 
Um, I, I hope he can make it through the entire year, man. To be honest with you, I'm sick and tired of people in Philly killing this kid. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of people yeah. outside of Philly, you know, talking about the injury. You know, listen, he had an ACL tear. They rushed him back. He had a fracture in his back. And then he got hit in the back of the head last year. That's not injury prone in my book. No. Um, but tell me what you what you see in 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 Carson. I mean, the thing I love about Carson, I think at the end of last year, because you know, some of the some of the normal players that are there weren't there, it allowed him to now step into this leadership role. Right. And you hear him talk about a Jaden Rager and how he's got a thousand and one questions. And the fact that the Eagles went and drafted three receivers and traded for another one to try to upgrade that position with young guys that could grow with a Carson Wentz. Mm-hmm. Um, go back to 2019. Look at what Carson Wentz had to throw to for the latter half of the season. I mean, they were pulling people in off the streets, off the practice squad. And Carson Wentz will that team to, to not only win a division – but to get to the playoffs. So now keep your fingers crossed. You have Deshaun Jackson back. Your first round pick Jalen Rager is supposed to be a speedster. You have some interesting young kids who could help this uh, team out in a uh, high tower in Watkins. Um, JJ Arthega Whiteside has to elevate his game two folds compared to what he did last year. You have two great tight ends. If the weight addition doesn't affect Carson's mobility and durability, I think Carson Wentz has the capability of being an elite quarterback in 2020. Even throwing to a lot of people that he's never thrown the football for before, even though there's no preseason games, even though OTAs, minicamps gone. I think Carson Wentz is that special of an athlete uh, to be able to do some of the things he did last year. And Elshon Jeffrey is not there. And to be honest with you, I don't think they need an Elshon Jeffrey to be successful in the passing game. They didn't have him last year. Look what he did. Okay. So you've got more speed now. You've gotten younger. You've got some hungry kids out there. You have another kid in Whiteside who's got a lot to prove. And you have a quarterback. I think Carson Wentz throws better on the run than he does in the pocket in a lot of ways. So if bulking up helps him sustain a lot of the punishment that, that he may have to take, and it doesn't affect his, his arm strength um, and his ability to get outside the pocket to do some of the things he does, I think he's going to have a phenomenal year. Well, I mean, I'm just looking at the youth, man, that they've <laughs> – that they brought in and, you know, where does the, and, and how do you see the offense leveling up? I mean, you don't go and bring in, you know, all these sub four, four guys um, without right. the intent of throwing the ball. Um, when I look at a guy like Rager getting a lot of high praise early in camp, right. a guy like right. um, Watkins and Hightower who made plays and flashed um, JJ to me is always going to be a, a, you know, big question mark because until he can show that he can level up to the NFL level, I think we're all going to have some questions and some reservations about not only the draft pick, you know, but where they drafted him. Um, And obviously, you know, DJX it's it's really all with him. It's all about how many games can you keep him healthy for? Because as long as he's healthy, you know, he's, he's a game changer. And at what point in time can you get Alshon back? You know, or are you devising this offense to operate without him? And, you know, maybe you IR him, you know, for some of the issues that we talked about, you know, last year and during the offseason. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. But I look when I look at this this offense now, 
My goodness, they look highly explosive. Highly explosive. Yeah. I agree. And don't forget about throwing to the kids out of the backfield. Uh, Miles Sanders, if he can stay healthy, he's going to be a star in the National Football League. You know, I don't want to see him get to a point where he's getting the ball um, 350, 400 touches in a season. I don't think he's built for that. Last season, he had 229 total touches. If you elevate that to around 300, 315 touches for a season, I think that's perfect for him. Look at what he's capable of doing when he's in open space. Look at the speed that he has when he's in open space and how he can separate himself. Across the board, the Eagles have speed, more so than they've had in recent years. If all of this meshes and comes together, you can't just defend one area of the field. You know, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard are what they are in the middle of the field. They're going to get their touches. But when you start opening up things on the outside and getting respect on the outside as well, not just one side, but both sides, and you can't cut, double cover both sides, somebody's going to be free eventually. And I like that aspect about this offense because it's going to be even more unpredictable now. You won't have a so you don't have to have a so-called favorite target to go through like a lot of teams do. Now, when you start opening that thing up, you you keeping linebackers and, and safeties and cornerbacks on their heels, and there's going to be a lot of confusion on the defensive side of the football because you can't, you know, the the coyote can't catch the road runner every time, right? So absolutely, you know what I'm saying. So. Something you, if that offensive line holds up and gives Carson time to stand back there and pat the ball, 1,002, 1,003, look out. That's all I'm going to say, look out. Well, let's, 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 t let's touch on the, the running backs, and then we'll come back to, to the tight ends. Okay. Um, you know, Doug Peterson has, has outwardly said that Miles Sanders is going to be the guy this year. Yeah. Um, I've, I've watched and covered the Eagles over the last, you know, four to five years. And one thing that they've been consistent with with their with their running backs is a limit on the amount of touches that the running backs get every game. Very rarely Absolutely. have you seen since Doug Peterson has been the head coach here, a running back get more than 16 to 17 carries in a game. So what does that mean when Doug Peterson comes out and says that, hey, he's going to be that guy? Are we talking 25 touches, you know, and another five or six in the pass game? Um, and, and, you know, when you get to that level, do you exceed that number that you talked about of where you actually put him at risk? I, just, I think that there's some kind of metric D-gun that the Eagles have been using where they realize that once a running back exceeds the 16-carry limit in a game, his propensity for injury goes up. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, and Doug is smart enough to know, don't wear your horse down in the first half of the season because you're going to need them even more so in the second half of a season, especially if you're fortunate enough to get to a playoff. So if Doug Peterson says, well, Miles Sanders is my lead back, okay, he may get five or six touches more a game than Boston Scott, than Corey Clement. And if the, if the offense is running, you know, this offense averaged over four yards a carry with a running back by committee. So if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. You know, you look at when they had LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi in their Super Bowl year and Corey Clement. And how they rotated those guys. How well did that work in helping them get to a Super Bowl, especially uh, when Carson Wentz went down and you had Nick Foles quarterback in that team? How much that running game helped open up that passing game for Nick Foles uh, that Super Bowl season? So I think it needs to stay status quo. You know, you had two young backs who were your workhorses last year down the stretch in Miles Sanders and Boston Scott. Now Corey Clement is back for one more year. Corey has a chip on his shoulder has a proverbial chip on his shoulder. I've had a chance to ch talk with him, and he understands this situation. He's going in as a number three back now. 
So he wants to elevate his status. So you got three young, hungry backs back there. They all want the football, and that's fine. But you also want some young, fresh legs come late November, December, and hopefully into January. You guys, you're listening to the Seth Jordan Show live on me today. With me today is my guy, Derek Gunn. Derek, you know, as I look at um, – is, is Zach Ertz expendable with the growth of Dallas Goddard? A lot of people have called in the offseason for the Eagles to package up Zach Ertz rather than right. paying him the type of money that a Travis Kelsey and a, and a, and a Kittles has signed for. Yeah. We know that the Eagles are going to be capped cap strap next year that the right. team may look completely different next year is is Zach Ertz a, a priority at the the going rate or do the Eagles um you know find a way to move on from him make Dallas the number one um tight end and try to draft and and, and groom the next guy to come along I don't think Dallas Goddard's game right now entails the ability to create the separation that Zach Ertz is able to do right now. Uh, we all chastise Zach for not being able to break tackles and going down after one swipe of the legs. But look at what he did a couple of years ago when he had a over 100 catches. And that's the Zach Ertz I want in my offense. I want a tight end who can not only block, maybe not block great, but block, but can get that separation and can make the big catch when I need him. Dallas, to me, right now, is still a better blocker than he is a pass catcher. And that's not a knock against Dallas Goddard. Dallas Goddard has good hands. Dallas Goddard made some big catches for this team. But Zach Ertz is more of that Travis Kelsey, that ability to get away from that linebacker, to push off and get away from that safety that's in his face. I don't think Dallas is quite there yet. And I think Howie Roseman um, has identified that as well as Doug Peterson. But here's what I do know about Howie Roseman. If somebody made him the right offer, you know, for Zach Ertz. And it would have to be a nice offer. Howie's not above letting Zach move on and letting somebody else pay him and using those assets that he, he would get to help make this team younger and hopefully better. And he will go out and get him a tight end and free agency. You know, um, I was talking with people in the organization right now. The Eagles are about, what, 20-something million under the cap, but they're supposed to be 50-something million over the cap in 2021. Mm -hmm. Yet, from what I was told inside is, we're not worried about that. We, we've got that. If anybody can figure out how to work the cap back to their favor, it's Howie Roseman. Howie Roseman is the king of capology. You know, he learned well from, from, from Joe Banner in that regard. So, yes, I, I love Zach Ertz. Um, I, Doug Peterson is smart enough to know he's a vital cog in his offense, but the organization as a whole is smart enough to know if somebody is willing to give us something that can help us in the immediate future, not the long term, we have to identify that and possibly go after it. Hmm. Well, uh, you know, when you talk about Carson and you talk about the running game and you're talking about, you know, the improvements at wide receiver, um, those are all moot issues if you're not looking at the offensive line and how much, you know, how much they can actually protect a guy like um, Carson Wentz. Because, you know, listen, at the Brandon Brooks loss is a major loss, a major no loss. No question. Um, it, would, would, would Jason Peters be, you know, 100%, you know, a great fill in there? I've been saying, you know, for the last three years, I felt like they should have moved him in the guard um, out of the tackle position. Um, but the, the greatest question mark is going to be now without him, without Brooks being there, yep. can Andre Dillard hang – 
you know, can he step up on the other side? And then as you look at the depth, you know, across the board, you know, Pryor and Sayamalu are guys that you know that you can count on. But, you know, we've been waiting for this Jordan Malata kid to develop for a long time. You know, the singing, the ukulele playing, singing, you know, offensive tackle. Um, and, and I would think that, you know, this is about that time where, you know, he's either going to have to step forward or they're going to have to move on. And, and they drafted two, two offense, two very versatile offensive linemen, you know, but you know those guys aren't ready to step into the fire when you really need to have them step in the fire. What do you see with this offensive line? Because, you know, for the last four or five years, they've been one of the better offensive lines, even in during all the, the injuries. They've been one of the better offensive lines in the NFL. If I were making the decision, I would have Matt Pryor playing right guard between two pro bowlers and Kelsey and Lane Johnson. And I would have brought the bodyguard back and put him back at left tackle. I'm still not 100% confident in Andre Dillard. Prime example, uh, from what I read today, Andre Dillard uh, was pulled out of uh, the starting rotation and Malata was put in. I, I, you know, I think it's because he, he might have missed something and they said uh, that he was underground and he's beating his uh, helmet out of frustration. Okay, that's a young player mistake. You know, you have to remember, Dillard only played 29% of the snaps last year, so basically he's still a rookie. And because he didn't get that development in May, in June, you know, it, 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 it's not it's not helping him right now. He's still I, a rookie. He's still a rookie. Prior to me, played very well in that playoff game against Seattle this past season. Why not put Prior in there as big as he is, 6'8"? Are you kidding me? That's a big man. You know, put him in between Johnson and Kelsey and put the bodyguard back out there, say Amalo solid at the left guard position. Now you have arguably the best offensive line in the National Football League. I understand the Eagles have to get Dillard on the field to justify moving up to get him in the first round. But if you're not ready, he's not ready. And because he's protecting your quarterback's blind side, do you want somebody who's not ready protecting your franchise quarterback's blind side, especially if he gets frustrated easily with some of the things that are not happening for him naturally yet? You know what they say, better safe than sorry. And I hope mm -hmm. this doesn't come back to bite them down the road this season. Well, I think they're, they are aware that they can make that adjustment and make that move. I think, you know, you, you, you get Jason Peters some reps at guard. So if you have to play him at guard, he can play guard. But yeah. that's his natural position. And he probably could switch back to that, you know, in, in a heartbeat. But, you know, I, the issue for me is, you know, in the evaluation process, when you're evaluating prop players, um, Sometimes it's really easy to get caught up on the size, the footwork, you know, and, and and all those intangibles. But you overlook, you know, those things on the inside that only, you know, football eyes can see. And by the time you get that guy in your stable, once you get him in your camp and then you realize that you made a mistake, that's a pretty that's a pretty lofty mistake. And I'm not saying by any stretch that Andre Dillard is a mistake. You know, right. he could turn the. He, the light could go off and he could turn the corner at, at any moment. Okay. Um, but if I'm going to draft a guy to fill in for Jason Peters, he's going to be the heir apparent. He better be, you know, eating metal, spitting nails, you know, and, and, and snorting right. rocks. Right. Um, and as much as I've seen of Jordan Mulata, that's not him. He wants to just get in front of you. He just wants to make sure that he can keep you away. 
He doesn't want to demoralize you, beat you down, you know, frustrate you. He just wants to get in front of you. And I, I don't think, you know, when you're a, a left tackle, you got to be a world beater, man. Yep. You got to be a, you got to be a nasty individual. You have to have a nasty mentality. Your mindset has to be, I am going to get inside of my opponent's head and I'm going to mentally beat him up as much as I am going to physically beat him up. And by the fourth quarter, I want to make sure he doesn't even want to line up across from me anymore. You have to have, you have to win the mental game, you, as you know, as much as you do the, the physical game. And I think when you talk about Malata right now and both Andre Dillard on that side of the football field, I don't think they have that mental makeup yet. You know, and again, both of these guys are still young in the game, but you have to mature quickly in this game mm -hmm. because if you don't, you will get eaten up and spit out in a lot of cases. Well, I, I just I hope that the light goes off um, for one of these guys in a way that allows the Eagles to to feel the most proficient group of guys on the offensive line. And, yeah. and I thought that they would move, um, you know, Matt Pryor right into that starting position yeah. and at least keep Jason Peters over there to create the competition. See, my thing is, you know, it, it took too long for them to make a decision on Jason Peters, in my opinion, because I think they wanted Dillard to have the job. They didn't want him to be here and for this kid to have to be looking over his shoulder. But to me, the cream always rises to the top and you can't play him until he's ready. So even if you bring back a Jason Peters and he outcompetes him for the job, at least you know you got the best player there. And when Jason Peters and if Jason Peters gets hurt, then you can bring him in. And you know what? If he can't handle the competition, then you most certainly, most certainly drafted the wrong guy and missed a lot. I think we're going to find out a lot about Andre Dillard this year. Um, and, and hopefully, uh, you know, he's such a nice young man. I hope he succeeds. Um, I think some cases um, he wears his emotions on his sleeves too much, uh, especially when he gets frustrated. Um, that could be a hindrance down the road. He's going to have to learn to, when you make a mistake, you have to forget about it in a hurry because nobody's going to pamper you and pat you on the back. You have to get back up on that saddle and be focused on the job at hand because if, if you don't have five wheels that are in sync, you know, one wheel blows up, it could blow up an entire play, especially at a crucial point of a game. So you have to mentally get to yourself to the point where the little things no longer become the big things in your mind. Well, listen, you, you guys, we're, you, we're watching the Seth Jordan show with my special guest, Derek Gunn. You know, in, in my day, if we got a guy like that, you know, we we would say, you know what, that guy is a weak link. He's yep. he's he's mentally weak. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to trash talk him to death and make him take himself out of the game. You know, it, that and as 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 bad as that might sound, that's part of the gamesmanship of sports. You know, that's why players trash talk, in my opinion. That's why I trash talk. Because if I can get you thinking about something else besides what your job is, right. and my job is what I've done. That, that, that was your day. These players nowadays are more pampered and nurtured uh, than ever before. And I've talked to so many ex-players. And, and one thing I've asked them was, why don't you go into coaching? You'd be a great coach in the NFL. And the comeback has always been, I don't want to coach these players nowadays. Man, these, now, these players nowadays are not like us. You know, they can't take a lot of yelling. You know, they shut down. Instead of building them up and, and allowing it to motivate them, they, they, a lot of these guys shut down nowadays. 
you have to be careful what you say to him and how you approach him. And I'm like, what? These are grown men. You know, football is about getting yelled at and getting knocked down and getting back up and hopefully mentally and physically making you tougher. But, you know, from what I keep gathering from 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 former players is, you know, I don't want to coach. I don't. I can't coach these kids nowadays, you know, because the way they want you to coach nowadays, I'm not built like that. I was coached a certain way, you know, and if I can't coach a certain way that I was coached, you know, I'm not being effective. So, and, and it's amazing how you have to have so many different, I guess, psychological approaches to, to coaching these players. You know, when you played a game and I played high school and college, you know, the coach treated everybody the same. He cursed out one, he cursed out all. He didn't care if you were the star player. He didn't care if you were the last player on the roster. You were treated the same. You know, nowadays it's like I got to treat player X different from player Y and player Z. I mean, I, I have migraine headaches every day trying to figure out who I can approach and who I can't approach. Well, it definitely is different, you know, and before we – I just want to say this um, before we shift over to the other side of the ball – I'm going to let my producer Derek know. Let's get one more caller in um, before we before we wrap the show. But but you're 100 correct. Man. I mean, the game is so different. You know, these players today, you know, they wear their emotions out on the sleeve. A lot of the chatter that they do, a lot of the trash talk is more, you know, look at me, look what I did, than it is, you know, the psychological side of the game. For me, it was always psychological. Um, nowadays, you know, guys want want to be noticed. Um, and, and talking about being noticed, you know, what I noticed about the Eagles is that Jim Schwartz and his brand of, of defense, he still loves to dominate the game with a front four. Um, that's, evident, that's evident by the moves that they've made the last two years. They can no longer allow teams to continue to double Fletcher without the help that he needed. So right. when they brought in Malik Jackson last year, Malik – um, you know, had a foot injury that cost them all year. This year they double down, they go and they bring in, um, you know, Javon Hargrave. And now he's out with a with a minor pec injury that makes him week to week. Um, you know, I've always said, because I know how close you've been to this thing, and you know how I stand about pressure. To me, pressure makes pipes bust. But um, is will this these additions – allow Jim Schwartz to be more flexible in your opinion from a pressure standpoint, or will it just plainly be that he went to get all of these good players on the defensive front so that he knew that he could get 100% pressure and not have to worry about the pressure and bring the blitz. The thing I like about what Jim Schwartz does up front is he loves to have a rotation guys who can get off the snap fast and, and put pressure on the quarterback and disrupt a, a timing. As you know, it's a pass happy league now. So what's the way to defuse a pass-happy league? Is to get your hands in the face of a quarterback, get him off his spot, make a move where he doesn't want to move. And I like the fact, you know, you look at a Vinny Curry. He can play inside or outside for this team. Malik Jackson can play inside or outside. Very versatile. Brandon Graham a lot of times will loop around inside as well. You know, I like his versatility. Uh, and I like the fact that he likes to rotate seven, eight guys and keep them a lot fresher in the fourth quarter. When a game gets down and dirty and, and, and grimy and gritty, you know, and guys are standing there with their hands on their knees and they're dead tired. You know, here, here comes Jim Schwartz's next wave of players. And they're not, there's not much of a drop-off from the first wave of players. And you keep them fresher that way. You keep that, you keep that offense guessing where that pressure's coming from. And as you know, Seth, a lot of times when you can get good, consistent pressure up front on a quarterback, it can disguise and, and mask a lot of the deficiencies you might have on the back seven. 
Well, I, I, I want to come back, you know, to the defensive line because I want to talk to defensive ends. But we got a guest, my man Larry, the ringleader, is coming up. Look at you, man. You're just chilling with your wife beat on and your Eagles hat. What's happening, man? What's on your mind today? Welcome hey, to the uh, Jordan Show. Yeah, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, so I caught your, uh, your podcast last week with the linebackers, and y'all made a lot of valid, valid points when it came to the defense and how the Eagles of the past few years would not or seemed to was not interested in and getting linebackers. And I agree, linebackers, to me, are the key to uh, to the defense, especially when, like you just mentioned a moment ago, the you know the pressure on a quarterback to Scott makes your secondary looks look make, looks great, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But when you have a linebacker, uh, and they had some good ones in the past few years. They're quick uh, and fast as some of the running back, and we've seen all of our competitors up to Andy when it came to the to the running back. Our linebackers should be able to chase them down from the sideline to sideline or disrupt them in the backfield by putting a hand on them. You may not get the tackle, but you can put up put the hand on them enough to change uh, their momentum and give uh, t- a chance for your teammates to uh, to you know rally to that to that to that running back. Um, so I think the front seven really is the front seven to me is the right. key to making the secondary look that much better because y'all gonna bring on the pressure up front. And I wonder why the Eagles did not address that with some of the uh, seemingly fast uh, linebackers of the past few drafts. Why wouldn't well, Larry, they address that? I, I, I think, and Derek, you can you can chime in, but I think that I like what they did this year. You know, I like the kid Davion Taylor that they drafted out of Colorado, and I'm really excited about the kid um, Sean Bradley that they drafted out of Temple. I think that, you know, that they have enough there to create enough um, competition that you'll get the best two out of that group. Because realistically, you know, there are no more three fours, four three defenses in the NFL no more. You know, with three wide receiver sets and whatnot and the ability to flex tight ends out like Zach Ertz and Kittle and and Kelsey, um, you're basically living in, in nickel or dime situations. Um, so those two linebackers have got to be guys that can make plays. The Eagles haven't really ever put a lot of emphasis on that position, but I was glad to see the two guys that they picked up this year. And I think that they're going to make a difference, even though everybody's worried about them. I think that those two guys are going to make a big difference. Your opinion, D. I I have a, a lot of question marks about the linebacking situation because there's a lot of what ifs. You know, you're talking about the young players. Okay, mm-hmm. what if they they get it quicker and make a significant contribution? What if Nate Gary can take his game to the next level? What if T.J. Edwards can get better in, in pass coverage? Uh, what if Duke Riley can be more than a special teams player? There's too many what ifs. There's no one definitive linebacker you can count on in this defense. Right now you're hoping bits and pieces can – gel and and form enough of a cohesive unit to be sufficient but that big what if stands over all of these guys you know a couple of guys you talked about rookies making a transition Nate Gary is what he is I mean he's decent but is he exceptional no is TJ Edwards exceptional no and when you look at a lot of defenses, it starts with the linebacking play and a lot of defensive schemes more so than a defensive line play. 
I mean, you look at the 49ers linebackers. You know, the Steelers have always been linebacker you. Uh, Chicago Bears, look at their linebackers. Those are the those are the guys that make their defensive unit in a lot of ways. And, and I don't see that with this with this Eagles linebacking core right now. You know, Nigel Bradham, say what you want to say about him, but Nigel Bradham was the brain trust of this linebacking core. You know, when he was in the last couple, 2017, 2018. You know, you don't have a Nigel Bradham now to lean on. You got a lot of guys who have to define their way, so to speak. Um, in this defensive scheme. And so I think the Eagles address the back end and they address the front end, but I think we're going to have a lot of what-if conversations about those guys in the middle. Well, I, there's no there's no doubt about it until they step up and show us what they can do. I think that, you know, Jim Schwartz is the kind of defense coordinator that, you know, he puts a lot of pressure on his front four yep. to get the job done, believing that, you know, with just adequate linebackers, you can get enough done, yep. you know, with a great front in front of you. Um, and to a certain degree, that's that's believable. That's thinkable. You might be able to do that. Right. But I just think that, you know, even if you don't invest heavily at the linebacker position, you got to have at least one guy that's a game changer at yep. that position. Yes. You know, I mean, that guy, he's got to be able to blitz. He's got to be able to cover. He's got to be able to play the run. You know, I think you had some of that, you know, in Michael Kendricks. You had some of that in Jordan Hicks. Um, you know, those guys have moved on. Um, but hopefully, you know, they'll find at least one of those guys out of the group that they have. Those groups are about, those guys are behind the curve, so to speak, D, because, you know, listen, Nate Gary's been in this system for three years. He knows what to yeah. do. That doesn't necessarily mean that he can get it done all the time, but at least he knows what to do. T.J. Edwards, undrafted. Special teams player, he's now in position with the departure of all of these guys. Now he's in position to take his knowledge and step up and compete. But you know, I, I've been I've been following the Eagles and watching the news. I see that Sean Bradley is flashing. Um, you know, especially you know yesterday and today. You know, laying some wood on some people. I coached the kid. I know that he can be you know a, a, a difference maker. And yeah. from everything I've seen on this Davion Taylor kid. You know, I'm led to believe that, you know, he this guy, he can run. He runs like a safety, but he's a sure tackler. He gives us something yeah. in that position that we hadn't had for a long time. Um, but I'm just, you know, my thing is how do we, you know, how do we pick and find guys that are better suited um, to be playmakers? I don't want a guy to just give me 80 tackles a game, you know, and then you know, that's it. You know, I want to see a linebacker that makes a difference. I want to be able to see, you know, a team come in with their dime package and their third down, you know, running back. And you got a linebacker that's skilled enough to come up and pop that guy in the mouth and get on his inside hip and trail him and be able to run with him. See, because now if you can't do that, D, then you, you're always at the mercy of the offense. You yeah. know, they're going to they're gonna personnel you to death. Because when you go dime, what are they going to do? They're going to turn around and run the ball down your throat. You go nickel, now they realize they got the mismatch on one of the linebackers and they can attack you. And all those things, all of those inefficiencies happen because we don't put enough enough onus, enough importance, enough urgency on the position of linebacker. As good as your defensive front looks, there's going to be many times when they're not going to get home. Um, and when you come up against the craftiest of the crafty quarterbacks and the Drew Breeses and Aaron Rodgers and all these guys, um, no matter how much pressure you put on them, 
eventually they're going to have their time to find who they're looking for. And if you don't have those active athletic linebackers who can cover them tight ends, uh, who can cover those running backs coming out of the backfield, and in some cases we've seen linebackers who can actually cover slot receivers. You know, if you don't have those mm-hmm. guys, you're going to get picked apart. You know, and so that's why I go back to what I said a few moments ago. What if? What if your defensive front doesn't get home? Then what happens? Because that's when the floodgates could possibly open. You don't have to worry about trying to go deep on Darius Slay and Avante Maddox and those guys. How many times do we see these quarterbacks nowadays just dink and dunk their way down the field? Drew Brees, Rodgers, they, they mastered. Tom Brady masters at dinking and dunking their way down the field and picking you apart. And why is that? Because they defined your weakness in the linebacking core, and that's what they're going to attack until you show them something different. Well, I want to get to the secondary, but I got to go back to these defensive ends because yep. this is the position, in my opinion, the that worries me the most. Um, you got Derek Barnett, who's down again um, with a slight injury. Um, it, I love that. I love Brandon Graham. I mean, the guy gives you everything that he has. But the truth of the matter is, you know, he came close to double digit sacks once um, a year, a year and a, two years ago when he right. ended the season with nine and a half sacks. Right. Um, he's not going to be that guy. He's just not going to be that guy who's going to give you double-digit sacks. Um, Derek Barnett, to, you know, put it lightly, you know, has been a disappointment. Um, and then we turn around and we sign Vinny Curry back. And, and I don't know whether that's because of familiarity or um, price point. Um, I was really, really hoping that the Eagles would have signed Everson Griffin. That's the that's the guy that I really like. There's been a lot of rumors, all yeah. oh, right. clowning and all that kind of stuff. But you know, Everson Griffin to me is a prototypical four four um, um, four down front defensive end. Right. Um, what what are they going to do if Derek Barnett, you know, flounders through another year? Um, I know they got Josh Sweat. They love Josh Sweat. Um, but to me, when I look at those four defensive ends that we have, you know, obviously Brandon is the, the alpha of the group just because of the way that he plays the game. He plays it all out. But those other three guys, D, they, the other, those other three guys, they all look like the same guy to me. They don't look like, you know, you get any level up on either one of them. You could change the numbers and the jerseys and, you know, the helmet size. They all look like the same guy. When it comes to Josh Sweat, I'm still waiting to see what he is or what he isn't. I haven't seen enough of him to define what he is or what he isn't coming off the edge. Barnett has is, is, is been frustrating not only to himself but to the fan base as well because he can't stay healthy. You know, I think when that kid is healthy, I think he has one of the quickest jumps off the snap of anybody in the National Football League. He has an exceptional bend in terms of being able to get up under these big offensive tackles and, and getting pressure. The only problem is you can't keep him on the football field. I think Brandon Graham, uh, considering that he's, what, 31 years old now, is going to give you everything he has. And Brandon Graham is going to be a force on that defensive front. He, Brandon Graham is what he is at this stage of his career. He's going to get you six, seven, eight, maybe eight and a half, nine sacks. You're right, he's not that double-digit sack guy we all were hoping for when they drafted him. But he's good enough to be a consistent uh, cornerstone for your defense in a lot of ways. But on the other side of the ball, Vinny Curry is back here because, number one, Vinny Curry was cash-friendly. Number two, Vinnie Curry is family, and that's big with the Eagles. The Eagles are big about bringing back players who are considered family. 
Jason Peters was coming back, I believe. I said it consistently since March. Jason Peters was coming back no matter what, but he came back out of necessity even more so uh, because of what happened with Brandon Brooks. <clears throat> but if any, Curry, cash-friendly, uh, great guy in the locker room. Eagles didn't have a lot of cash to go out and get anybody much better in that regard, and that's why Benny Curry is back here. Well, you know, when I look at the at the secondary, D, this this is the most intriguing um, part of this defense because to me, uh, the 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 trade for Darius Slay allows them to do some things that Jim Schwartz has not been able to do since he's been the defense coordinator here because you know what you're going to get out of that guy. That's going to allow you to roll covers the other way, you know, to lock up on the backside. It's going to allow you to do a plethora of things. Um, the most intriguing competition for me is the Avante Maddox, Sidney Jones competition, because deep down inside, they want Sidney Jones to win that job, but it doesn't look like that's yeah. what's going to happen. It looks to me, looks to me like Avante Maddox has pretty much locked it down. You know, I've said it before on my show, B. I felt like that year, year before last, that Avante Maddox had earned a starting position on the outside. They moved him inside to bring, you know, Mills and Darby back, um, which I thought, you know, was a mistake. Um, and everyone talked about, you know, his inefficiencies last year. And to me, that was all about moving him primarily um, inside. And then when they needed to move him outside, they moved him outside for a second-year guy, highly confused. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, what's going to happen with Sidney Jones because, listen, he, he looked like he was coming on towards the end of last year. Um, I haven't been able to, you know, I haven't seen him yet, so I don't know whether he's 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 put some muscle on, gotten bigger, gotten a little bit stronger, so he could play at this level. Um, but from what I'm reading, as far as what he's been doing, um, training camp isn't going too well for him right now. He's not really much competition to a guy like Avante Maddox, who is fundamentally and technically more sound than any other DB on this roster, in my opinion. If you followed me on social media and uh, watched my show, Quick Slants, I've said consistently since March that the job is Avante Maddox's to win or lose. And I would also tell you this, from what I was told inside, they're all rooting for Sidney Jones to step up his game because this is a money year for Sidney Jones and because he was so highly coveted coming out of college. At the time, as you remember, he was considered the elite cornerback coming out of college until he had the Achilles issue, and it took him a couple of years just to get his footing back. But I was also told Avante Maddox is the better overall athlete. And Avante Maddox right now is going to be your starting cornerback opposite, uh, opposite Darius Slay. When I look at Avante Maddox over the last couple of years, he's not the biggest uh, cornerback out there. You know, when you look at the cornerbacks now, 6'1", 6'2", everybody wants the taller, leaner cornerback. Avante Maddox is like about 5'10". But Avante Maddox is fearless. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He can get up and press cover you. If he gets beat on that double move, that out-and-up move, he has the quickness and the speed to recover and get back and battle for the ball. He is a sure tackler, and because of his versatility, if need be, you can also put him down in the slot position as well. And because of his versatility, that's what this Eagles organization loves about this kid, that he doesn't back down from a challenge. And so the, I think right now the only way Sidney Jones starts is if Avante Maddox gives him that position, and I don't see that happening. 
Now, you know, I, I love I love everything that Howie did with the secondary this year. Right. You know, the trade, the free agent signing of Will Parks, um, the experiment with Jalen Mills, um, the draft pick with, with Kevon Wallace. Um, what he's done is he's created a lot of competition on the back yep. end. Okay. Yep. We know for certainty, we know who's going to be the starting free safety and we know who's going to be the starting left corner. Okay. There's enough competition elsewhere um, for things to play out in a way where you're going to get the best of the best. Um, you know, even though Jalen Mills is penciled in, um, you know, you've got a guy that the Eagles spent a pretty, pretty nice draft pick on in Kevon Wallace. Um, that's a player. I love his style. I love his, you know, his physicality. Um, Will Parks, I don't know a whole lot about, but I know he's an able veteran. Um, and then the competition over at the corner position just heightens, you know, I mean, every single day, you know, that I'm studying this thing, I'm looking to see, you know, who's making strides and who isn't. Because, you know, I've been in that situation before where you're thrown in the competition and it's like, okay, let's see. Let's see who's going to rise, who's going to rise to the top, who's going to rise and, and, and snatch this job and take this job. So it's just really interesting to me to watch and see. And maybe are there some contingency programs? What if both both Avanti Maddox and Sidney Jones aren't getting the job done? Does that allow Jim Swartz the flexibility to say, hey, Jalen, we need you to move back outside and then you can move in a Will Parks or a Kevon Wallace, you know, to start at the other the other safety position, it allows for him to have a lot of flexibility on that back end. And I'm just the type of person that believes the more competition you can create, right. the better player you're going to get as a start. There's no question. Uh, I love the depth and the versatility they have back there. And I don't consider Jalen Mills an experiment. Jalen Mills was a natural safety coming out of LSU. I think he'll be more comfortable there. Jalen Mills, to me, just did not have a quick twitch to play the cornerback position against a lot of these gazelles in the National Football League right now. But playing more of a center field type uh, position, I think, is going to make him much more comfortable. Being have, able to have everything in front of him, um, I think, is going to make him more comfortable. I think he's going to be doing a lot of similar things that Malcolm Jenkins did, coming down in the box, you know, moving around. I don't, you can't, we're not going to say he's going to do it to the Malcolm Jenkins level yet because we haven't seen it yet, but I do think he has that capability. And I think Jim Schwartz has been waiting for the right moment to make that transition from Jenkins to Jalen Mills and, and allow Jalen Mills, I think, to flourish. I think Jalen Mills is going to be a better safety than he is a cornerback in the National Football League. Rodney McLeod is the brain trust on the back end of that defense now. As you talked about, you know what Darius Slay is? Darius Slay is supposed to come in here and be the shutdown and take away that third of the field over there. If he's able to do that, I think it helps – uh, alleviate some of the burden and some of the pressure off the other three guys or four guys in the back end of that defense when they start playing nickel. So I like that, you know, like, and I'm like you. I don't know a whole lot about Will Parks back there. I think Wallace right now is going to be a special teamer. He's going to come in here and be playing more special teams than he is going to get game reps on the back end of a defense. But as he continues to develop and grow and watch these guys, hopefully by the second half of the season, if need be, he will be a viable entity that you can stick in there and not have to hold your breath and cross your fingers and hope he doesn't get exposed with, with whatever his deficiency might be. D, we can talk all night, man. We, we're, we're over our hour, man. And um, like I tell all my guests, you know, time is our, all of our most 
valuable commodities. Yeah. So I thank you for an hour and you know twelve minutes of your time. You coming on my show and just chatting with me, man. Listen, I'm praying for you. I'm hoping you know that whatever door God opens up for you, that it's a door um, that's a level up from where you were. Thank you, and um, you know, enjoy that. Enjoy that granddaughter, man, and keep on grilling, brother. And um, I'll be talking to you soon. 20-month-old grandson. He's a demolition expert, runs the house. Um, and I just want to say, <laughs> I was on the Seth Joyner show. I finally got on the Seth Joyner show. That made my day. Man, stop it. Stop it. Love you, and bro, man. Wait until I get you fired listen. to get on the Seth Joyner show. Oh, stop it, man. You you always welcome on my show, whatever show I do, man. Anytime. Anytime. I may, I may, I, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I'm gonna reunite you and Barrett. Barrett popped on on one of my just QA days with just my 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 viewers. I just take questions and answers all day. But he popped on one day and I had him on for a little while. I'm gonna have I'm I'm, I'm gonna have the old Quick Slants crew on one day we can just chat it up. I know that's gonna be hilarious. Let's do it. Let's do it. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. I'll put it together, my friend. Hey, listen, you guys, be nice to each other. Take care of each other. Love each other. Thanks for watching the Seth Joyner Show. I want to thank my producer, Tom Schrader, and um, and Derek Stevenson. Um, to all you fans that are following me, thank you for your, for your support. I will be back right here next week with another edition of the Seth Joyner Show. Take care of each other. Peace.